0: This podcast is supported by Vango and their National Trust Sustainable Camping Collection, sharing a passion for the great outdoors. Hello and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Joe Dyson, adventure enthusiast and communications manager at the National Trust. Today I'm in Pool Harbor on the Southwest coast of England, and I'm heading to a little island renowned for its rare species to learn all there is to know about a great British pastime, camping. I've loved camping since I was a child, but I'm no expert. So joining me on this adventure is Sean Lewis. As well as being a very experienced camper, Sean is also the author of the National Trust's book Wild Escapes, which showcases 40 of Britain's wildest locations, including where I'm headed, Brownsea Island. Thanks to a group of adventure-loving boys in 1907, Brownsea Island became the birthplace of scouting and is where history and the great outdoors merge to create a unique camping experience. just strolling along the harbour front. It is a hive of activity. More industrial than I thought actually. You can see lots of cranes in the background. And this must be the cafe where I said I would meet Sean. Sean. Hey, lovely to meet you. I've long followed your outdoor adventures on Instagram, so I'm so excited that we're going to be going on an adventure of our own. Should we go and get that boat then? Yeah, let's do it. So the ferry has just set off from Paul Harbour. It's already becoming a slight dot in the distance. And it's pretty calm today. There's just little waves and the lights really glistening off the top of them. What got you into all the sort of adventures and travel? I've been into camping and swimming since I was little.
1: I still think I love to just head off with a tent and a swimsuit and, and go exploring, especially in the UK. We've got some really amazing wild corners to discover. What are some of your sort of favourite places in the UK? Probably my favourites are the islands because they're just so special and they really give you that feeling of escaping from real life. So there's Brown Sea, which we're going to today. There's also the Isles of Scilly off the Cornish coast. And there's also Eileen Shona um, in Scotland in the inner Hebrides, which is where Jay and Barry was inspired to create Neverland where Peter Pan lives. And it really does feel like a Neverland. So. I think probably the islands are my, are my secret favourites. <laughs> yeah,
0: to really get away from it all. Yeah. That was so quick. I feel like we've only just got on the boat and we're here already and it just seems worlds away, doesn't it, from the busyness of Pool Harbour and now we're presented with this really sort of serene... Landscape.
1: Yeah, so you can also kayak straight to the island um, or get the ferry, which only takes 20 minutes. So it's actually pretty close to the mainland, even though it really feels like a different world.
2: Jo, Sean, hi! Oh, hello!
0: You must hi. be Georgia! Yes,
2: welcome to Browse Island. I am. I'm Georgia. I'm the outdoor holidays manager.
0: So we're surrounded by turreted buildings. Presumably we're not camping right here.
2: That's correct. So this is um, just the entrance to the island. The campsite is around a 20-minute walk from here. On normal occasion, we run our luggage runs. So you'd put all your gear in one of our trailers and then we would take it up to the campsite for you. But on this occasion, we do have a vehicle. Right, should we get going
1: then? Yeah, let's
2: go.
0: We've arrived at the campsite. What a beautiful spot with sea views. What are all these signs?
2: So these are all from uh, scouts and guides that have come to camp and stay on the island all the way from Australia to South America, um, so from all over the place. I love the fact that
1: they're all unique. Some are from the 1990s and earlier, so they were grown-ups now. Absolutely, and
2: we do get um, them return as well. How many um, scouts do you have here camping a year? At the moment, we've got over a thousand booked in for this year, so and it's just growing each year. So we've actually got some scouts just around the corner that we can go and meet at the trading post. <laughs> So this is Alex and Lucy who are part of Lilliput Sea
3: Scouts. Nice
0: to meet nice you, you. So Sea Scouts, not just any old
3: scout. There's also Land Scouts and Air Scouts.
0: The neckerchiefs around your neck. What's the sort of knots around
3: that? We've got a woggle, Land Scouts and other scouts normally have a leather one, but just because we're more affiliated with the sea we've got a, a rope on which we tied ourselves.
0: But Lucy, you've got got something metal in your woggle of your neckerchief. So this is the bosun's pipe. Can I hear what it sounds like? Yes, of course. Oh, that's brilliant.
1: And the colours of your neckerchief are your
0: scout's That's our scout scout group. group. So we've
3: got red and white, red and yellow. But other scout groups have got different. So if we have a look inside the trading post, whenever a scout group comes and camps on the island, they'll leave a neckerchief as memorabilia. So we've got some from Sri Lanka, some from Australia on the roof. There's hundreds of them just hanging.
0: Oh, my gosh, there are so many. And there's so much memorabilia as well around the shop. Look at all these beautiful old photos.
4: And... Here
2: you're looking at the first scout camp, which happened in 1907. Lord Baden-Powell came over to the island for the first scout experimental camp.
4: The story starts a little bit earlier, in 1900. Baden-Powell had returned from the siege of Mafeking. He was very much a war hero. Um, He'd already written a book on the subject of scouting to use by non-commissioned officers and men. I'm Kevin Phillips, chairman of the Brownsea Island Scout and Guide Heritage Trust. While on a fishing holiday, he met Charles and Florence Van Rolte. They had a home in London and on Brownsea Island. On hearing about Baden-Powell's ideas, they invited him to use their island for his experimental camp. And so, on the 1st of August 1907, Baden-Powell brought 20 boys to Brownsea. He formed them into four patrols, each with a patrol leader. And then, over the next 10 days, they were introduced to a range of activities which would form the chapters of his planned book, Scouting for Boys. The Association aims to provide fun, adventure, skills for life and have the opportunity to reach their full potential. Today, there are 57 million Scouts in 175 National Scout organisations worldwide.
0: All these badges that you have, I noticed quite a few sort of sailing boats on. When
3: you're doing the activities in Scouts, you often get badges for it, so I've got a sailing badge, arts and crafts, and pioneering. I quite like my navigation skill, because it means outside of Scouts, there's no-one there to support you when you're on your own. I can go out with my friends, go camping, and I can navigate, and you feel yeah. safe, because yeah. you know your skills.
2: I joined the Sea Scouts not having many friends, now I've got li- lifetime friends forever. Too many friends? Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's amazing that you can still camp on the same site today. Yes. Really cool.
2: How that it used to be just for scouts and guides, and then after lockdown, after we reopened again, they opened it to the public.
0: Oh, amazing. So we're about to have a very unique experience. Enjoy your camp. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, it's a beautiful spot, Georgia. I love how it's surrounded by trees. But then we're so close to the shoreline as well
2: so you'll probably notice we've got no designated spots so we don't have marked out pitches or anything like that as long as you leave a six meter distance between yourself and any other tent there's also really good beach access from here so you can go off and have a swim in the evening if you see that flagpole over there yeah this actually marks the spot where baden powell pitched his first experimental camp So if you do want to, you can pitch in that spot and you'll be reliving history. Great. Well, should we go and pitch our tent? Yeah, sounds brilliant. Lovely. I'll say goodbye,
0: guys. Enjoy your night. Thank you, Thanks, Georgia. Georgia. So how do we know where the perfect place to pitch is?
1: Yeah, so normally what you're looking for is a nice, generously sized, flattish area or on a very slight slope if it is going to rain because then you know the water's going to drain away. And you want to avoid anything directly under a tree or a rock face just in case anything wants to tumble down onto your
0: tent. I remember waking up on a slight incline once and having the blood rush to my head. So if we are on a slight (laughs) slope... head at the top of the slope. Head at the top (laughs) of the slope. Right, Sean. so before we pitch, what sort of kit do we always need on a camping trip? So obviously
1: you do need some sort of tent. Yes. The real basics that I think are the real essentials are a nice comfy sleeping bag. And you also need a camping mat that will keep you better insulated if it's a bit chilly as well. You always want to pack lots of water. And then it's also really handy to have some sort of little light for the evenings, like a head torch. How do you know what sort of tent? There is a big range, so it is worth picking a tent that suits the kind of camping you've got in mind. So you can go from everything from basic kind of little pop-up tents which are brilliant for festivals then you can get quite lightweight one and two man tents which are often called backpacking tents then you're looking at family friendly tents and one technological innovation that's really helped with bigger tents is air beam technology which essentially means that instead of big unwieldy metal poles you're using air instead to fill the poles of your tent it actually makes for a really sturdy solid structure so it's going to be windproof and weatherproof as well and that's what we're going to try out today so we've actually got van Brecken Brecon Air Force air tent so I'm gonna get it out and show you you can inflate it using a hand pump which makes using a bigger tent a little bit more accessible
0: okay so I'm just rolling it out now
1: that's definitely the ground sheet this darker gray yeah we lay that out flat we'll see the shape of our tent yeah
0: oh wow this is huge it is So we've got
1: the shape of our tent now. So what we want to do is peg out the four corners so it's nice and tight. And something that I find really helps with that is if we're opposite corners of the tent right now. So if we pull those corners tight and peg them out, it gives you a nice, taut ground sheet. Excellent idea. (laughs) It's like it's coming alive. So you want (laughs) to inflate it fully so it feels nice and sturdy. It's getting there. And when you start to feel resistance in the pump,
0: we'll stop. Yeah, I mean, I can now. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Great. (laughs) And then we'll do the next one. That probably only took a few seconds to blow up, didn't it, that 1B?
1: A lot of air tents only take 10 minutes. It's definitely
0: easier when you turn it once and you know what you're
1: doing. (laughs) (laughs) Using guy ropes and pegs to secure the tent in place makes it much sturdier and is especially key if it's a really windy day.
0: I think that's the last peg now, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, it was pretty quick. Well done. This is going to be such a memorable camping trip for me. I mean, you must have so many memorable trips. So
1: probably the most memorable night I've spent out in the world is doing something called cliff camping. Cliff camping? I don't know if you've ever seen any photos of um, pro climbers where they'll climb a section of a big wall and then they'll camp out on these little platforms which are called porter ledges, which are literally hanging on to the cliffside and you abseil down to a platform that's suspended from the cliffs and you're harnessed in for the whole night and then you just sleep out in the wild and you've got the sea far below you and you've got the wild birds kind of circling around you and it is pretty scary but also really magical. I mean, did you actually get
0: any sleep or were you just petrified?
1: It's probably not much fun if you're really scared of heights but you do relax and as it gets dark it's, it's
0: actually surprisingly peaceful. Yeah, I can't imagine sleeping suspended in the air.
1: Well, actually, I've got a little bit of a surprise for you tonight. You're not actually going to join me in this tent. Oh, right! You just got me to help you put it up. I did <laughs> because Brownsea Island offers something slightly different um, called a tree tent, and I thought you might want to check that out tonight instead. Should we go and have a look?
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, so
1: what you've got is a triangular structure that's um, pulled really tightly, um, kind of like slack lines, if you've ever had a go on them. So they're attached to three trees, so you get a, a taut triangle, and you can just see under here. And that basically becomes your ground sheet, so that's what you're going to sleep on. And if you give it oh a my feel, it's pretty really solid. Oh gosh, taut. Yeah, and then on top, you have a traditional tent structure so it's a dome and this is your outer fly sheet which is going to keep you dry and then underneath
0: you've got a little bonus you've got a little hammock to hang out in as well and i have a sea view from my hammock. this is amazing i mean i will be sleeping suspended what sort of a meter and a half In the air, would you say? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I mean, this is an absolute first for me. Well, we'll call this cliff camping for beginners (laughs) and you can see if you like it. So if
1: you want to pop your stuff inside the tent now, we've got a few hours of downtime before our next adventure, which is a night safari with the island ranger. So maybe we could go for a little swim.
0: I would absolutely love to go for a swim. (laughs) Sean, it's been such a brilliant day. And actually, it's just so peaceful now isn't it that all the day trippers to the island have gone and now it seems like it's pretty much just us and the peacocks
5: (laughs) hello
1: oh ben great to meet you i'm joe i'm Sharon. nice to
0: meet you
5: you too so the plan this evening we're going to go and see if we can look for some nightjar i think we're going to start we'll just have a look around some of the habitats we've got on the island and then we'll see what we can see on the way wonderful let's go
0: So Ben, it's a different sort of landscape up here slightly, isn't it?
5: So the, the island's predominantly uh, woodland, so it's it's pine woodland. We've got Scots and maritime pine. And then we've got the area that we're just coming up to now is our sort of only bit of open heath.
0: This is so beautiful.
5: So at the moment we've got the, um, the bell heathers just coming into flower.
0: It's a really bright, vivid purple, isn't it? So is this quite rare heathland?
5: Yeah, so in Dorset over the last couple of centuries we've lost up to sort of 80% of our heathland so um, the bits that we do have are, are very important and because we have the squirrels on the island rather than reverting everything to heathland we're reverting it to wooded heath.
1: Can you tell us more about the red squirrels on Brown because it's something quite special about the island isn't it?
5: Uh, yeah it is yeah it's uh, one of only two places in southern England that you can find them so here in the Isle of Wight but yeah we've got a population between 200 and 250. We're very happy that they're here. Yeah, this area where we're stood now actually is probably the richest area for sort of rare species. Last year we had a pair of Dartford warbler nesting in a patch of gorse just over there. We also have sand lizards, so the males are bright green this time of year ah. and they bathe in the sun on the edge of the path. So then um, we're going to go and see if we can look for some nightjar. I don't know whether you know much about nightjar. No, I don't. So they're a very difficult bird to see during the daytime. They're ground nesters and they're cryptically camouflaged, so they look like bark, so they look like a tree or the ground. So the only really easy way to, to find them is listening for their calls. And their, their calls are uh, mechanical, doesn't sound like any other type of bird. It sounds possibly more like a frog or something like oh, that. Nice. So yeah, you'll definitely know what it is when you, when you hear it. What was that? There's a not your, okay. Can you hear? There it is, it's over here somewhere. There, oh, there is, it is that it? Yeah. Oh. So the, the songs are, are, are territorial, they're attracting a mate and they're warding off other males. And then they will come out and they will display and then they'll probably go off and start foraging.
0: And when you say they do a display, what does that look like?
5: So the males have um, white tips to the end of their wings and the, the end of their tail feathers and they fly, they'll fly around the territory trying to attract a mate. They clap their wings sort of above their head, makes quite a, a loud noise. Yeah, there's one. So he's definitely come to have a look at us there.
1: There's movement, is so interesting. It's like
5: an animatronic. <laughs> so it's sort of like a string puppet. I yeah, think, exactly, so. Like, yeah. yeah. So if you put your hands like next to your ears, it'll sort of, it'll amplify the sound.
4: Oh, it does.
5: Yeah. Looks cool as well, doesn't it?
4: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, yeah, I think we might leave them to it now.
0: That was really special. Right, shall we head back to the campsite then? Yeah. a view that is just beautiful looking up through the trees that my tent has been tied to and beyond the branches i can see the sea this is such a serene place to wake up to let's see what Shan's up to morning Sean. that smells delicious
1: yeah i've got some coffee on the go and i'm making us some breakfast i'm doing some porridge and some caramelized nuts to go on top
0: Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. How did you sleep? Surprisingly well, actually. Once I'd managed to climb into the tree tent, I felt really quite supported. And actually, the hammock feeling just sort of makes you feel cocooned. Was it nice to wake up on the peaceful island? It was. It just feels that we're a million miles away from the mainland.
1: It is such a wonderful place to be. And I think, you know, you only have to be here for a day or two. And you really relax because there's no cars. It's a haven for nature. It just feels like a really special place to escape to.
0: Where should we go for our next wild escape?
1: <laughs> should we graduate to cliff camping next?
0: Oh, I don't know about that. One step at a time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the National Trust podcast. If you'd like to book a stay on Brownsea Island, there's information in this episode's show notes, along with a link to the Wild Escapes book, where you can read about other amazing places to stay. For now, from me, Joe Dyson, goodbye. This episode is supported by Vango. Connect with nature with the National Trust camping range from Vango. Created from recycled plastic bottles and including spacious and easy-to-pitch tents, sales from the Sustainable Collection supports the National Trust to help look after nature, beauty and history. For years of great camping memories, head to vango.co.uk and enjoy the great outdoors whilst doing your bit for the environment.